Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this 23rd of July, 2022. We are more than halfway through the year, and Alan Nelson is singing Christmas carols somewhere in uh, in, in Georgia. Or, no, Arkansas. Excuse me, not Georgia. Arkansas. <laughs> uh, he's probably got his tree up, and he's probably already got you know planning out his light display, which will probably go up next week. Um, so, Alan, that's for you. But we're grateful to have you with us once again. Uh, thank you, by the way, for being a little bit patient with us last week. Uh, we did have to take a week off just for some stuff that was uh, being, you know, going on. And uh, we put up uh, an, an episode we hope you all enjoyed and were benefiting from. Uh, the, the concept of, you know, this, hey, let's invite people to church as, a, as an evangelism technique. We hopefully, uh, it's been a few years since we talked about that. We were hoping that maybe that will maybe get you thinking about that a little bit more. So, and it seems like a lot of people did listen to it. So we're grateful that you guys kept tuning in. Thank you for, uh, for spending time with us, even when we weren't there as we normally are. <laughs> we were only there in rerun form, but, uh, but thank you for taking the time to listen and share that. Um, this one should be a interesting program tonight. We'll talk about that in just a minute. I want to remind you, we are part of the Christian podcast community. As always, we always recommend you go check out the programs that are on there. Um, Lots of good stuff. You're always going to be blessed by something in there. We, uh, While we are so thankful that you make our podcast part of your listening library, uh, and we recognize that there's only so much podcast listening capability for most people, unlike some of you who listen on like 2.0 speed. I don't know how y'all do that. Um, I, I cannot handle chipmunk voice, and y'all speed it up and do chipmunk voice, and I can't do that. Too distracting. But uh, really appreciate you, while we really appreciate you making us part of your listening library, don't want you to miss out on some other great stuff out there. It's one of the hallmarks of our show is that when we find something good, we try to make sure that you guys are made aware of it. We want to be a blessing not only to you as the listeners, but to other people who are putting in the hard work of putting together these podcasts so you know far too often i don't think people realize this people put a lot of time energy and effort into putting a podcast together and statistically speaking many of them will never make it past maybe half a dozen shows one because you are putting a lot of time and energy into it but also there's that just that unfortunate that you're just not getting the listeners you know and so if nobody's listening why put the energy into it so you guys giving them you know, just even a little bit of your time. Nothing says we have to. You have to listen to every single episode. Certainly, you don't have to listen to every single one of ours. But if you take time and do that, not only will you be blessed, but you're blessing someone else. So if you have a chance to even just check out one show, uh, go to the Christian Podcast Community. Check those out. There's going to be a ton of stuff in there. We're always going to try and uh, encourage you to do that. Want to remind you once again: check out SlaveToTheKing.com. That's kind of our one-stop shop for. All things Voice of Reason Radio. That's where you can get signed up for email new, uh, newsletters to let us, let you know there's something new, new uh, whether there's a new article or a new episode. Uh, it's where you can get in, in touch with us and follow us on our social media. It's how you can support the program, and it has the links to being able to buy. If you want a T-shirt for the show, you can go through there. So please, please, please get signed up so that when something new comes out, you're being informed uh, because it looks like uh, you know, Elon Musk may, may not buy Twitter after all, and if he doesn't, uh, pretty much all of us are going to be kicked off anyway. So, if that happens, you're going to need to be, get notified somehow that uh, that we've got something new. So please go check it out. Go get signed up. 
Uh, thank you so much for all of your support. You guys are amazing. And the more of you that interact, the more we hear how this is impacting you. And we even get really good questions. Um, there's one person that actually friend requested me on Facebook who I actually denied at first because there was no friends in common. And she messaged me to say she had read the G3 article and she wanted to learn more about what we do. And so I ended up, uh, you know, putting her on as a, as a friend that actually had questions about tonight's episode when I posted on Facebook. So hopefully we'll answer that tonight. I mean, it's, you guys are starting to interact more. You guys are starting to interact with the program material more. You're talking to us about it. You're asking questions. And then when we post stuff, you guys are sharing it, which is one of the other reasons this episode's getting on tonight. We'll talk about that in a minute too. Um, but yeah, so thank you. Uh, thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for supporting us. And thank you for, and more than anything, please be praying for us. Um, just like you, we face the difficulties that everybody else faces. We have families. We have struggles. We have illnesses and finances and extended family issues and work issues. And so while we try to put time into this, uh, obviously, just like you, we face all those things. And so your prayers for, for us and for our families are always appreciated so that we can continue to serve in the way that, that God has made it possible. So hopefully that covers everything. I think, like I said, I, I think I've gotten better about doing that quickly and not <laughs> not rambling too long. So I just want to, again, thank you for all of that. Rich, how you doing this week, brother? Brother, as always, better than I deserve. Amen. Last time I butchered my own catchphrase. You so did. I did better tonight. <laughs> you did. You did very well. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest. I've had a difficult couple of months. It's just been one thing after another. Last month, during just, well, for the whole month of June, I know I missed most of that entire month with you on the show. I had what the doctors called quote unquote crud, although <laughs> others, others tested positive for the evil C word in the area. So I'm not real sure what it was that I had. I'm just glad that it's over and gone. Sadly, now it's hit, hit another household family member. It hit, it's hit their house and they're going through it. And, um, so please keep them in prayer. But, and then last week was, just so the listeners know, last week it was my fault. We did not record. <laughs> I kind of I had a kink in my back that would not go away. Um, as most, if you're a regular listener, I don't hide the fact I'm disabled and I have a lot of health issues. Ma the major issue is I deal with a, with a lot of chronic pain, mostly from some messed up disc in my back and some bone fragments that like to, from time to time, tap against my spinal cord and do some little weirdo stuff and for lack of a better way of putting it last week about a day before we were going to record i was trying to walk and i stepped wrong and i threw my back out so you know <laughs> i can injure myself just trying to pour a cup of coffee sometimes so and i messaged chris and let him know what was going on and we just decided to drop that rerun and give my back time to heal. Thankfully it's doing better than it was, but regardless of what's ever, whatever's going on in my life and Chris's life or your life, just remember we are always, if we're saved in Christ, we're always better than we deserve. Amen. Now, brother, as we lead into tonight's show, I'm going to throw you under the bus. And <laughs> this was not in, this was not in prep. 
it was not in pre-show. It was not even mentioned in notes that we shared. But I'm going to ask you very quickly and very briefly, how would you define biblical repentance? Well, biblical repentance would simply be uh, it, not only admitting and confessing your sin, but a turning away from your sin. I know there are many people that love to say, well, it just means change your mind. Well, it's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And I know there are many who don't like hearing it that way because, oh, well, you're adding works. You're telling people they have to stop sinning and they have to be good in order to get saved. And that's simply not the case. You know, Christ's message when he you know, first began to preach was to, uh, to, you know, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is a admission that my life and everything in it is a, a warring against God. It's doing what I want in rebellion to what he has commanded me to. And then it's orienting my mind, my heart, and the things that I do to being obedient to God. So uh, I, I like how Todd Friel once said it. It's like if we get in a car and we're, I tell you we're driving to Florida, but every time we, we pass a sign, you see signs that are saying, I'm heading to Canada. What you want me to do is repent. You want me to turn around and go the other way. So biblical repentance is simply turning from my sin and turning toward obedience to God in my heart, mind, uh, thoughts, and deeds. And that is part of a turning and of repentance in Christ, a repentance from sin and turning in faith to Christ. So trusting in him alone for my salvation. So repentance is, is exactly that. It's turning away from my sin and turning to Christ. Well, you did a very good job. I would like to add to that. In There's a lot of different definitions that you'll find regarding repentance. What Chris just Said is biblically true. It adheres to biblical doctrine. But I'd like to take you beyond that for just a moment. Look at Psalm 51, where David cried out to God, against you and you alone have I, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Repentance is not just a change of mind. It's not even just a change of direction in one's life. It's a complete transformation of a person's life to completely depart away from your old self, that self that is in Adam, that is in sin, and to completely surrender and throw yourself on your knees and beg at the mercy seat of Christ, beg him for his mercy, for his forgiveness for your sins against a holy God. Repentance is not only acknowledging your sin, it's being remorseful over the sin that you have committed against the holy God. Amen. It's that desire to surrender all that you are, all that you want, all of your life, to surrender your love of sin to Jesus Christ, and in that repentance moment, turning from your sin and turning to Christ, and start down the path of progressive sanctification that is also in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, for Christ, done in Christ. It's not just a well, I'm going to decide to go this way. And Todd Phil's analogy is correct, but I will add to it. You're in a car going to Canada, but you're supposed to be headed towards Mexico. It's not just a matter of turning that car around. It's a matter of getting out of that car, getting into another car mm -hmm. that is headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. It's a complete transformation of the entirety of your person, thought, mind, word, and deed. 
because the greatest commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That also requires submission to God, submission to God through Christ in thought, mind, heart, and strength. So biblical repentance is not just changing your mind and deciding to go to church or deciding to listen to this pastor or deciding to read your Bible. It's that process of being transformed into the image of Christ, given over to him daily more and more and more. And Paul talks about that. That is what the ministry of reconciliation is, being reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, with that being said, and hopefully between Chris and I, we have provided you a very biblical, grounded definition of repentance, which leads to my next point. Repentance is not renewing the mind. Well, excuse me, let me rephrase that according to this. Repentance is renewing the mind. Renewing the mind begins with repentance. Re means to go back. Pent is like the penthouse of the top floor of a building. Repent then means to go back to God's perspective on reality. No, that is not biblical repentance. That is an eisegetical rendering of the word repentance. That is a definition of repentance based on someone who has a false image and a false idol of Christ, who do not understand Christ or the teachings of Christ. And this was quoted by Bill Johnson from his book, The Supernatural Power of a Transformed Mind, from page 44. That is how Bill Johnson defines repentance. That is not the biblical definition of repentance. That is not even remotely close to a bad, eisegetical understanding of repentance. Mm -hmm. But if you have not figured it out, yes, tonight's topic is Bethel Church Reading and Bill and Benny Johnson. No, we are not going on a character attack Mm -mm. on these individuals. But we will discuss some aspects of the theology that is taught from Bethel Church Reading, and we will show you from Scripture why what they teach is wrong. Now, I want everyone to understand something. As Chris and I discuss this and go through these topics tonight, we use the same standard with Bill Johnson as we would Charles Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle, R.C. Sproul, or John MacArthur. We don't take these people at their word. We take their word and compare it to what the book has to say, what the Word of God has to say, and then we look and see if what they're teaching aligns with what the Bible actually states and teaches. That is called, well, that is one portion of hermeneutics, and that's something that we always should be doing, is examining anything and everything through the lens of Scripture. I don't care if this person, whichever one it might be, is your favorite pastor, if you've attended this particular church for decades, if you think they are the nicest people in the world, if you think, you know, just because all these people are showing up and, you you know, all these experiences are happening and you have all these emotions, throw all that aside, take what the preacher says and compare it to what the Word of God says and see if it lines up. Amen. That is the foundational principle of understanding and reading your Bible when you're examining what is coming out of the words and mouths of a pastor. What I say tonight and what Chris says tonight, I want you to compare it to what the Bible has to say. Don't take our word for it. Go to the Bible, go to the source, and read for yourself 
what the Word of God has to say on these subjects. If you think we are wrong, quote Bible Scripture and explain from Scripture why we are wrong on what we are going to say tonight. Now, with that being said, one of the biggest problems with Bethel Church Reading, and it's not just Bethel Church Reading, but that is the, the main focus of our discussion, like so many who proclaim to be Christian in the world today, they add some form of works or they add something to salvation. You see it throughout professing Christianity to where in order to be saved, you must do this. If you're really saved, you must do this. In the case of Bethel Church Reading, their add-on is if you're really saved, you must be experiencing a physical healing in your life. If you're really saved, you must be able to provide a physical healing to someone else's life. Is that a good summary, brother? I believe so. I believe so. Um, to to give some, some backstory to this and, and why we're getting into this subject, uh, Christian Post on the 14th of this month, uh, in an article by Michael Grybowski, uh, had written, and I know it was announced in other locations, that Benny Johnson, the wife of Bill Johnson of Bethel Redding, had died after a lengthy battle with cancer. She was diagnosed back in March of 2018, and from 2018 until now, so four years, battled uh, this cancer, um, breast cancer. What had happened is that from the time that she had done that, she'd gone through surgery, she'd gone through uh, chemotherapy, she's gone through just about everything. And very interesting in that um, here is the, the wife of an individual who, who says, and we'll give you the link to this, it's, there's a video from Bethel Redding. It's their YouTube page where he says that Bill Johnson says it is God, always God's intent to heal. Always. All right, And uh, we'll, we'll talk about why that's an issue. But Four years going through all these treatments, through these surgeries, had in February gone through a 24-7 prayer campaign uh, because her cancer had gotten worse and she was having difficulty even breathing or sleeping. And then by Wednesday the 13th, Bethel Social Media had noted, uh, made a, an announcement that she had been brought home to for ho- at-home hospice care that basically the, that when you get hospice care, that means you're dying. They are preparing you to die. And they had gone on to basically, you know, do a prayer. And I'm going to share a video clip uh, on, uh, from the Messed Up Church, which is a YouTube channel that talks a lot about um, these, these name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, health, wealth, prosperity ch- uh, churches. And, and lest you go, I don't know if I've ever... If I've never heard of them. I don't know if you, uh, if I trust them. Justin Peters actually makes a comment on this video. Thank you for for uh, you know this video. It was done well, and and may God uh, use Benny's death to wake people up from the glaring inconsistencies and theological bankruptcy of this horde deception. So Justin Peters gives them an okay. So you're you're fine. But um, he he actually talks about how Bethel in this announcement basically declares that God is not done with Benny. 
It's just, we have declared, you have said this, Lord. How do you declare what God has said? Anyway, um, so unfortunately, despite that announcement, despite that bringing her home, despite the constant prayers and the, and the ex expectation that God intends to heal, Benny Johnson passed away, which is, I want to stay up front. This episode in no way, shape, or form is to rejoice over the death of Benny Johnson. What it is to say is that we want to talk about something that I posted, the reactions that it got, and addressing in a biblical manner why I said what I said and why I believe it was correct and why the criticism that it has received from people that either were just big old fans of Bethel Church and Bill Johnson or who have zero clue what Bethel Church and Bill Johnson said, but we're still very upset with, with my post. And this isn't about defending myself. This is about pointing out that there is a biblical reason to say what was said. So on July 14th, having heard about Benny's death and, and, and saw a whole bunch of different posts for a lot in a lot of different ways, one of the things I wanted to do was encourage people to pray. Because the I don't care if you're a false teacher or not, if you lose a loved one, especially your wife, that is extremely painful. So what I posted was to say, any death from cancer is tragic, and we ought to pray for those who mourn. May we also pray for Benny's, pray Benny's passing be, the, be used by God to open Bill Johnson's eyes to the evil of the false gospel he has preached for years. May it bring him to repentance and genuine faith. So I want you to hear what I actually said, and I want to tell you what I didn't say. What I actually said is please pray for Bill Johnson and his family. Okay, They are mourning. Pray for them. What I also said is Bill Johnson, sadly, is a false teacher, and our sovereign God, who uses tragedy in the lives of people, can bring those individuals to repentance and faith through tragedy. It has happened time and time again. And so it was my request that people pray that a false teacher who for decades has misled people down the, uh, the broad path to hell would find salvation because he, everything that he has preached was just ripped from him in the most stark and revealing way possible. What I didn't say is, oh good, she died. That proves that uh, Bill Johnson's a big fat heretic and I'm going to dance on Benny's grave didn't say that. If you heard that, you had you came in with a preconception and you are uh, basically, as Vody Balcom says, the 11th commandment says, you are not being nice. Okay, I, I want to make sure you understand that. Um, that That's what happened is that, and, and God bless, uh, you know, um, our good friend Justin Peters and the folks that run his page. They screen grabbed this. And at last look, and I, I only went there because I was trying to see what other comments had come up, but at last look, there were 451 comments on Justin Peters' Facebook page of this screenshot. Many of them not happy with me. And it had been shared over 200 times to other people's pages or Facebook accounts or whatever. So, God bless Justin Peters and his ministry. Because lots of people heard us asking for prayer for Bill Johnson and prayer for his salvation. But wowed it between what I got on Twitter 
and what I got via Facebook, <laughs> there was a lot of discussion from people who were not happy with what I had to say. So that's the kind of the backstory to that. So that's why we're, we've gotten into this because we want to talk about why is Bill Johnson a false teacher? Why is it right to pray to God that he would use something like this to save him? And what what is it that makes this different from disagreeing over you know theological issues? Why are, why are we so concerned about Bill Johnson, who's clearly a charismatic, and why are we calling him a false teacher? So those are kind of some of the points we wanted to talk about. Rich, uh, before we go moving, did you want to add anything else into that? Yeah, I wanted to point out and make sure that if you're listening to this and you are a member or you support Bethel Church Reading or you're one of the ones that jumped to conclusions based on Chris's post, I want you to understand something. Chris and I both understand that Benny Johnson was extremely nice. She was an extremely kind person. And from things that I've read, she was a very giving person. Her and Bill and Bethel Church Reading have donated to the local community. They've done numerous things for the local community. We do not deny that she was a very nice mm -hmm. person. But being nice does not make a person truly saved. And odd as it is, about this time last year, I was teaching evangelism at a local church, and that was about the first time that I had read about Benny Johnson being so sick. And during after the evangelism class, we had a prayer meeting for Benny Johnson that the Lord would grant her salvation and would heal her. And I did not realize this at the time, but over a decade ago, I actually had a gospel conversation with Benny Johnson online. At the time when it was going on, I had no idea who she was. I really didn't. I, it was just a user that replied to a comment, and we got into a discussion. And it was not until sometime after that that I learned that this was Bill Johnson's wife of Bethel Church Reading. And in the conversation I had with her, she was very kind. She was very well-mannered. She did not jump to conclusions. She didn't go to reviling comments that I would make. She would ask questions about it. She was a very kind, especially compared to today's Twitter usage, it was a very kind, cordial conversation. And she, and she said that she would consider some of the things that I said and pointed out. Now, I never saw any difference in the practice of what goes on after that but i know that at least one time she heard the biblical law and gospel presented to her because i was blessed to be able to present it to her myself mm -hmm. and like i say she um, we're not we're not denying she was a very nice very kind very giving very compassionate seeming person but none of those traits define a biblical mm -hmm. christian None of those traits define being truly saved in Christ. And I know that she has passed on. I know people take exception when these conversations come up, when someone has departed from this earth that either were a known sinner that reviled and, and lived and loved their sin versus someone who professed to be a Christian. In today's age especially, it's not just enough 
to think that you are saved. You have to know whether you're saved or not because you have to remember what has been declared by Jesus Christ himself. Go to Matthew chapter 7 and read verses 21 through 23. In fact, read the entire chapter 7 of that book. But Jesus Christ himself, talking to those who profess to believe in him, said, depart from me, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. I never had a personal relationship with you. You claimed me as Lord, but you did not obey what I said. You claimed to follow me, but I did not know you. I did not have an intimate, personal relationship with you. And that's what the word knew means in context in that verse. I can claim to know the president, but unless he knows me, I'm not going to be acknowledged by the president. You can claim to know Jesus Christ as Lord, yet him not know you as a saved son or daughter in God through him. Amen. We want to make that clear because the most loving thing you can do on this earth is not feed and clothe the hungry and the homeless. The most loving thing you can do is proclaim the biblical way of salvation to an individual. Even if they profess to be a Christian for 50 years, it's still the most loving thing you can do is encourage them to examine themselves, to make sure they're in the faith, to encourage them that they truly know and understand Jesus Christ and his biblical way of salvation. Anything beyond that may, may provide temporary comfort on earth, but it'll be meaningless compared to the eternity that we face, whether it be in heaven or hell. Amen. Um, were you going to play that audio clip, brother? I do not have the audio clip pulled up. I apologize. So let's make okay. sure we put that in the, uh, we'll put that in show notes. I'm sorry, brother. I had everything else pulled up, but the audio clip, uh, my apologies. Um, but, but yeah, make sure you get that to me before we're done recording. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so amen to everything you just said. Amen. Because one of the other clips that we're going to have is it's a 20-minute video from Bill Johnson. I want you guys to go listen to it. This particular video is cited in Messed Up Church's um, actual uh, posting about Bill Johnson, about Bethel, and what they believe about healing. And it is uh, from their YouTube page where it says, Theology of Sickness and Healing. So this is a discussion between Bill Johnson and one of the associate pastors. The reason I want you to listen to that and want you to uh, listen to what he says is one of the things that you will notice about Bill Johnson is he sounds like one of the most humble and kind people you'll ever hear. He doesn't sound, in most cases, like, say, oh, Kenneth Copeland, who looks like he's got demons ready to come jumping out of him at any moment. Kenneth Copeland looks crazy. It sounds crazy. You look at him and go, yep, televangelist, money-grabbing nut. Bill Johnson does not come across that way. And, and as you said, Rich, Benny Johnson, very kind. But that is not the measure, as you say, of whether a person is saved. A person can be, some of the nicest people you will ever meet are people who are in cults people who are in false religious systems, who genuinely believe that what they are doing is earning some sort of merit with God, and so they're doing all kinds of acts of kindness and love and all these other things, 
but they are all sincerely wrong because that's not how you, you merit salvation. We don't merit it at all. So we want to make a point of that. This is not to, you know, try and tear them down as, you know, though they're terrible, mean, and evil people, but they are teaching a terrible, mean, and evil false gospel. So one of the things that's in this video where they talk about healing is that Bill Johnson says it is always, not, not, hear what I'm saying. He says always God's will to heal, not can God heal, not will God heal, or God is God able to heal, but God will heal. Something that was tragically demonstrated to him quite clearly is not the case over the last four years. And he points to Isaiah 53, which is the, the standard charismatic line about healing. Well, let me, let me point out what Isaiah 53 actually says. Isaiah 53, 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, and this is speaking of Messiah. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a dry root out of, or, or, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I want you to notice as we're going through this passage what is missing. Because remember, Bill Johnson, Bethel, and others use this as a passage to prove that God always heals. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastise was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like street sheep have gone astray. We have turned away every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Rich, what's missing in that passage? Well, for one thing, proof that, well, it, it, it never mentions that Christ intends on healing everyone. Right. In what, fact, go ahead. The, go, no, you go ahead. That, that's exactly it. They focus on the word heal. It is the only word in that those six verses. And in fact, if you go on, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out, uh, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and the, with a rich man in his death, though he had done no violence, so there was no deceit in his mouth. Over and over and over again, what is referred to? Transgression, iniquity, sin. Well, and that's one problem with Bill Johnson's sermons, with Bill Johnson's preaching. He will take a word, and instead of applying what's called... <coughs> exegeticalism he applies eisegeticalism mm -hmm. and I'm, we're not going to get into the definitions if you don't know go look it up 
but it's a biblical way of interpreting <laughs> words. You have to apply the who, what, when, and where, and why to Scripture. And in this case, just like in the example I gave at the start of the show when it came to the word repentance, Bill Johnson constantly will take a word mm -hmm. and try to apply it. He'll take it in, in today's context, in today's meaning, just like the, the pent in that portion, in the word repentance. He took the word pent and tried to apply it to a pent house, mm -hmm. the top portion of a building. He tries to put words into today's terminology instead of extracting the word from the time that it was written mm -hmm. and applying it into today's world. Yeah. And in the case of this verse, when Isaiah is speaking of healing, he never is referencing physical healing. Because exactly. he uses the word iniquity so mm -hmm. many times, that gives you the context of the type of healing that Isaiah was speaking of, which was a spiritual healing, being reconciled to Christ. Why did Christ come into the world? To reconcile the lost, to reconcile Jerusalem to himself, to make sure and to reveal the mystery that was unknown for ages, that was brought forth during his time, that was revealed to his disciples and apostles, that the Gentiles would be given, would be offered the gift of salvation along with the Jews, because prior to that, only the Jews thought that they were the chosen race, that they were the only ones that were going to go to heaven. Jesus came not to bring physical healing to those and to those that would follow him. Jesus Christ was born, lived, died, and was resurrected to provide a way to spiritual reconciliation to God through himself that was lost in the first son, Adam, to bring about reconciliation to God through the second Son in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And by the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. <laughs> if you look at the first portion of Acts, Paul, no, excuse me, Peter, when he was proclaiming on the day of Pentecost, this Jesus whom God has raised to be both Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Christ was his title. Savior. Lord is what he is. Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. People do not seem to grasp this concept that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Yeah. Going back to what I've said in previous shows and what I said at the beginning of this, to for Jesus to be, Jesus is Lord of your life whether you acknowledge it or not. Only those that have been truly saved in Christ that are and, and repentance and belief and salvation is a gift of God. The ability to surrender all that you are and want to live a life holy and pleasing to him is also a gift from Christ. You don't make Christ Lord over your life. He already is Lord. But when you're saved, you, become, you come to understand what it means to call him Lord, to submit to him as Lord, why he said, why do you call me Lord, yet not do what I say? Yeah. I'm sorry, I kind of got off tangent there a little bit. <laughs> no worries, brother, no worries. And that's exactly it. The whole context, as you said, is about our iniquities. He was stricken for our iniquities, not for our physical healing. 
Isaiah 53 is talking about his receiving at the due penalty that we have for our sins. He did not sin. We did. He was stricken okay. on our behalf. To Just in case someone does not understand, what does iniquity mean in the context of that verse? It means the, our disobedience, our sins, our lawlessness, our rebellion against God, those things that we do that violate the commandments of God. That is iniquity. It is the law, our lawlessness before God. And that's why he's, you know, when you talked about earlier, when he says, uh, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, or, uh, you know, you, have pra who, you who practice lawlessness, depending on which version you're reading, I never knew you. Those still dead in their trespasses and sins, despite their pro profession of faith. So, Bill Johnson says, it's always God's will to heal. It's always God's will to heal. He, he has said, and I, I, I know it's in a sermon on Galatians, I believe, where he has said, I refuse to create a, a theology that allows for sickness. He refuses he refuses. Well, let me go back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writing to the Galatians. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of Jesus Christ, or as a, excuse me, as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. He later says, For I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. And that's in verse 15. In other words, Paul was so precious to them that he, even though his illness was so terrible that it was a burden upon the Galatians, they themselves would have been willing to give up their own eyes for him to you know, in order that he could not be going through this ailment, so obviously a condition of the eyes, that he might be healed so that they could, he could continue to serve there. That's how precious he was to them. They were willing to endure his severe ailment and willing to even give up their own. Now, interestingly, he doesn't say you had all night prayer vigils. You didn't. He doesn't say you sat and you know pr uh, declared that God would heal me. He says you would have given up your own eyes if could, if you could have. So, in other words, Paul never says in this that that ailment was something that was a result of a lack of faith, or it was uh, a failure for them to pray, or that. Uh, Paul himself failed in, in trusting and having confidence in God's ability to heal. But rather, even though it was a burden, the people were willing to endure it for the sake of Paul being there to preach the gospel to them. Let's hey, go. brother. Yes. I may be jumping ahead of you a little bit, but, but let, let's come back to what you just said in just a moment and address some of the things that Bill Johnson has said that Healing is an evidence, is a true evidence of salvation. Go ahead. Um, I would like to point out, and I think either you or I, one, have, have more of that in context in some things that he has said, but, um, and I apologize, my screen just jumped. <laughs> you know, we're really professionals here because we don't have everything exactly 
laid out all the time. We but, tell you don't try this at home because we do, and this is what happens. <laughs> I mean, Bill Johnson has said, if you're not healed, you're not saved, and it's all your fault. But I want to jump ahead a little bit. I want to address the fact that many, many sermons, and you can go on their website and read, and, and even in some of the comments that you received, that so many get wrapped up in that if you're not exhibiting these gifts, if you're not being healed, if you're not able to heal someone else, that's evidence that you're not in the Holy Spirit. That's mm-hmm. evidence that the Holy Spirit's not working in your life. That's evidence not that you're not truly saved. But you were in Galatians, and I want to point out something from Galatians chapter 5, and I would encourage you to read the entire chapter, but go down to verse 22. And this is Paul writing, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Nowhere in that does Paul say that evidence of fruit of the Spirit, meaning that you are actually indwelt Mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit, Nowhere does he say that evidence of the Holy Spirit is being able to heal, yeah. being able to speak in tongues, being able to prophesy, being, being able to, to tell the future, being able to lay your hands on someone and heal them, being able to raise the dead. He never states that. He says these are the evidences of fruit of the Spirit, meaning this is evidence that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit that you're growing in love for these things, that you're exhibiting more of these things, Mm -hmm. that you're beginning and growing to hate the things of the flesh that were outlined in the previous verses in that chapter. That was evidence. That's what Paul presented as evidence of being in, dwelt by the Holy Spirit. He nowhere mentions that that being able to be healed or healing others is proof of your salvation. In fact, you will not find that anywhere in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And we're not in, we're not even debating whether the gifts are still available today. Right. Put all that aside. What is the word of God saying? What did Paul write? Mm-hmm. This is the evidence that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you're growing in these things, <laughs> if you're growing in the love of Christ, if you're growing to love what Christ loves more. If you're growing to hate what Christ hates more, this is evidence of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is the evidence of true fruit of salvation, going back to the Gospels, when Christ talks about every good tree and every good fruit. Mm -hmm. Sadly, there are bad seeds, bad trees, and bad wax fruit today, meaning that it may look and sound biblical, it may look and sound like it's kindness and compassion. But unless it is truly rooted in the Word itself, unless it is truly rooted in Jesus Christ, it is false fruit. It is tares among the wheat, no matter how appealing it might look. The fruit that Eve ate of (laughs) in the garden, I'm sure, was beautiful and very appealing to the eyes and very tempting and, and really, really wanted 
on top of the fact that the serpent was tempting her, I'm sure it was very appealing from a fleshly perspective, meaning it looked like that would be a very tasty piece of, piece of fruit, whatever the fruit may have been. But we have to remember to go back to the Word of God, regardless of what any pastor or preacher or someone that you think highly of is teaching and saying, if it does not align with the Word of God, they're not teaching the Word of God, they're teaching their opinion. On top of that, if this healing was supposed to be sustained, and and Paul, and, and I forget what portion, when he I think it was when he was in Ephesus, was even his shadow being cast, people were being healed. Even Paul's ability to lay his hands on someone and heal them diminished over time. You just pointed that out in that verse from in Galatians 4 because of the, the suffering that Paul himself was going through because of the trials that he was facing when he talked about gouging out his eyes and, and mm-hmm. how difficult for those around him his illness and sickness was. People very rarely read the epistles in chronological order as they were written and as it happened. But if you go to Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, and, he, and Paul talked about, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus. If that gift of healing was still available to Paul, why didn't he lay his hands on yes. Trophimus and heal him? It's because that gift of healing had left Paul. It didn't mean that he was no longer an apostle. It didn't mean that he was no longer in the favor of God. It, no mo- it, no, it didn't mean that he was no longer saved. It just meant that the time had ended for the gift of healing. And if Paul, of all the writers in the New Testament, which by side note is the one most often people try to diminish and say that is not, his writings are not actually the Word of God that we addressed in our last live episode. But right. anyway... And, and this is not an isolated incident. Look at Philippians 2, verse 25. I have, brought, I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephraim, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Sorry, my phone's froze up here. <laughs> um, but in verse 26, Paul goes on to talk about that, that he had been longing for them all and that he had been distressed because you and Philippi had heard that he was ill. And Paul said, yes, ill near to death, meaning that he was on de- on the deathbed. He was on the verge of dying. And Paul goes on to say, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon mm-hmm. sorrow. Paul knew that his friend was on the verge of dying. He gives glory and praise to God for allowing his friend to survive this illness, whatever it was, and to continue living. Paul did not blame the illness on God. Paul did not mm-hmm. blame the illness on Epaphras. I'm sorry, I cannot say that word right now. My tongue is just all tied up. Epaphras. <laughs> Epaphras. He did not blame any of that on anyone. But in the context of what Bill Johnson preaches and teaches, this would have been Paul's fault, it would have been Erephus' fault, and it would have been God's fault. Yeah. Or it would have been it would have been everyone's fault except 
except God. Because in, in another sermon that Bill Johnson put out, he said, you can't blame God for your illness or your sickness. Basically, you blame those around you for not praying enough. You blame yourself for not having enough faith. My question is, okay, throw everything out and just assume that Bill Johnson is right, and 500 years of Christianity have been wrong, actually over 500 years since the Reformation. All 500 years, every professing Christian had been wrong. Every professing Christian outside of Bethel Church that deny these things is wrong. Assume for a minute and give Bill Johnson every benefit of the doubt under the sun. Go back to the Gospels where Jesus was in a home, and they removed the towels to lower a man crippled in his bed to lower him down from the ceiling into the room. Who did Jesus say had the faith to heal that man? It wasn't Jesus' faith. It wasn't the faith of the sick man. It was the faith of those lowering him down into the room. So by Bill Johnson's own words and his own definition, who then did not have enough faith to heal his departed wife? Would it have been those in the church, or would it have been Bill Johnson? Um, By Bill Johnson's definition, it would have been Bill Johnson's fault for not having enough faith for his wife to have been healed. It would be Bill Johnson's fault for those members of that church who are not healed physically. It would be either their fault or his fault. It would be Bill Johnson's fault for the fact that he, for decades, has had to wear glasses because his eyesight is not perfect. Right. And My just, point being oh, is that... Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish up. I was just going to point out, though, these type of verses are just left out and not addressed by churches like Bethel Church or preachers like Bill Johnson because they do not fit the narrative they're <laughs> trying to portray. Exactly. And what's interesting is so much of the emphasis is on the healing. Now, when if you watch the video the, uh, from Bethel, they actually try to kind of tamp down on the idea, oh, w- w- we never blame anybody uh, with their lack of faith. If anybody in our ministry ever says, oh, you, you weren't healed because of your lack of faith, we correct them on that. But then they go around and, and still, like, there has to be some measure of faith. There, there, it, it, maybe it's, maybe... You know, Bill says, oh, I'll tell people, well, I'll, the, I have faith enough for both of us. There is this constant emphasis on faith. That it's, that it is this prayer of the, you know, for healing, this faith for healing, that it is always God's will to heal. So they will give lip service as he does in the video. And he tries to make it seri- sound very magnanimous. Well, oh, we would never say that. But then you can hear him as they, but I can't let go of the, there, there has to be some measure of faith. Interestingly, when we go to 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul doesn't tell Timothy, have faith for your frequent ailments. He says, no longer drink water, only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. He actually gives him medical advice. Gives him medical advice. There's not an issue of faith or prayers there. It's just, you drink, drink, it's okay to drink some wine. To, to deal with your stomach and your, your frequent ailments. It's okay. Do that. You know, take, do what is necessary to, to take care of your healing. Okay? Yet, Johnson and Bethel, massive, heavy emphasis on this. And he, he argues that it is always God's will to heal because Jesus healed all that the Father sent to him. Interestingly, it is in John 10.38 
where I believe we find context for why Jesus healed. And we'll start in verse 40, uh, 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your uh, in your law, I said you are gods, little g-gods? If he called them gods, these were the judges, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Why did Jesus heal all those that the Father sent to him? As a testimony to who he was. That he was Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised Prophet, the, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Christ's healings were a testimony of his divinity. He it was fulfilling what scripture said of him. So Johnson tries to say, well, see, Jesus, Je Jesus healed everybody that was sent to him so that we get, we get to do that too. And we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, but he is using what was spoken of for Christ to speak of who he is so that Oh, we all can do this. Well, why is he able to say that? Because G Bill Johnson and Bethel Redding teaches something that is, it is anathema to who Christ really is. It, it is. it is an absolute heresy of who he is. Johnson and others teach that when Christ emptied himself, he completely emptied himself, like no divinity, that he is man, that he did these things as a, man, not as the God-man, but that he fully emptied himself and was simply a man, and he did these miraculous works through the power of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, we can do them as well. Okay, This is part of Bethel's teaching. That is a complete corruption of who Christ is. He is God and man. He did not, yes, it says he emptied himself, but not in the sense of he emptied himself of his divinity, but rather stepped down from heaven, took on humanity, and basically, you know, divested himself of all he could be doing. He could have sat in heaven and received the praises of angels, and yet came down and took on human flesh, condescended to become man, so that he may stand in our place of judgment. This idea that he emptied himself so that he completely is just fully man is a complete corruption of who Christ is. Now, other things that Johnson says is that you know when you watch the uh, the the clip from uh, the video clip from Messed Up Church, and again I'm giving you homework here. Go watch these videos. Um, in one of his sermons at one of these uh, uh, kind of prophecy type conferences, prophetic conferences, he he, he makes a point of. Go, talking about Matthew 10, 8, where he uh, tells the disciples to go out and heal. And, and by the way, he says, he didn't tell them pray for healing. He said, go heal. Well, what's Matthew 10, 8? Let's go to, and we, Daryl, we're turning pages here. I, I know Daryl's listening. Um, 10, 8 is when he sends out the 12 apostles the first time. So let's back up to verse 5. 
These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, the house of Israel, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, or copper for your belt. Hmm. Acquire no gold, no silver. Funny, Bill doesn't say anything about not getting any money. Um, I wonder why he doesn't bring that up when he talks about this in his sermons. Um, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or tunics or sandals or staff for a labor labor of for the laborer deserves his food. And then he goes on and gives further instructions. This is the first time he sends them out. Now, I want to go to the end of the book of Matthew. And I want to show you something. The passage we refer to as the Great Commission. 28.16 Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Interesting, there's nothing in here about go and heal. The final instructions to the apostles and thereby the instructions to us as the church is to go and make uh, is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to be obedient to all that Christ taught. There's, these are two different sections. One is when he commissions the disciples to go out and preach him doing the miracles that he gave them to do in that time, which testified to what? Christ. Christ and the power that he gave, you know, uh, gave them to, to, to preach his message. And we do see that continued in the book of Acts as it goes forward. But interestingly, um, as much emphasis as are on, are on miracles in places like Bethel Reading, when you read the book of Acts, they are the minority of what actually happens. Most of what the book of Acts talk is, is constant teaching of the gospel over and over and over again. There's an emphasis on talking about the miracles, which were a testimony, or which testified to those who were preaching the message, but they were in the minority of things that happened in the book of Acts. So he says, well, yeah, we have to pray. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, in that same uh, sermon that he gives, he says, well, I'm, 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 you know, I, I believe we were supposed to pray. He says, but it, he told him to go heal. But he takes that passage out of context. And by the way, says nothing about having no gold, no money belts, no nothing like that, which would really destroy Bethel as, a, uh, as an entity because they depend so much upon the money that they receive. He gives token acknowledgement that we are to pray, but he really says it's about commanding to do the miraculous healing. Interestingly, in the in the actual video that Bill Johnson does on the theology of healing, he does give a token acknowledgement that there are times when it's clear that God is taking the life of a person and that's being brought to an end so that healing may not happen. But it's the only time he says in that 20-minute video where healing may not happen. It's clear that that God is is uh, taking uh, is taking this person out of this world. 
So he gives token acknowledgement to prayer, token acknowledgement that there may be times when healing doesn't happen because the person is just going to die. And then he kind of downplays that issue that there's that not having enough faith is is often the the problem. No, no, no. We don't really say that, but 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 faith is is necessary. There has to be some measure of faith. So he brings it back around. Interestingly, in that same video on the theology of healing, I <laughs> I have to wonder how much crawling around in the skin happened when they knew that they were going to have to address this. And the uh, the associate pastor brings up the issue of, of Joni Erickson Tata. Joni Erickson Tata is a wonderful woman of, of Christ. She has a wonderful testimony, being paraplegic, how at one point she hated God more or less because she couldn't be healed, and then God in her, uh, in her, her suffering brought her to understand who he genuinely was and brought her to genuine salvation. And this pastor says, you know, you talk about enduring faith. You talk about, uh, you know, uh, God intends to, you know, it's God's intent to heal. So he brings up Joni Exentata. He says, she has this amazing faith, this amazing testimony of Christ, and I, I, want, I would love to be like her. But then I wonder, but wouldn't I want that same faith that people come and pray for me every week and lay hands on me that I would be healed? This is a sticking point for them. They, they really don't like this. And you can see there's just this reluctance, in my opinion, but he has to talk about it because they they probably agreed beforehand to talk about it. And he says, how do basically he's asking Bill, how do we handle this? How do we how do, how do we account for this kind of enduring faith? Yet she doesn't have faith for healing. And his response is, I can't wrap my brain around it. And he admits, I don't want to take anything from her. She, what she models is, is exactly what we should see for faith. But then he talks about enduring faith is about holding on until the miracle comes. See, Joni Erickson Tata would tell you that enduring faith is that she endures all that she goes through in this life for the past, you know, recognizing this is this is a vapor, it's going to pass away, one day she's going to be with Christ in eternity, and all of that's gone. So her faith carries her through her trials. It, it gives her strength and in, in, uh, confidence in God's eternal promises, but not according to Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson, enduring faith is about staying faithful until the miracle comes, because it has to be about the miracle. Now, a couple of things I also want to point out, and this is coming directly from Bethel Redding's church, or church website, okay? If you go to their, their page on their core values, and I'll put this in show notes, they have a couple of past, uh, sections here I'm just going to quickly touch on when they talk about um, God is still speaking and, and God empowers supernatural ministry. But before I get ahead of myself, Rich, any thoughts on what we just discussed? Well, I'd like to address a couple of things that you just said, and I, if I jumped ahead of you into what you were going into, I apologize. But what you were talking about in Matthew, when Christ sent, sent out the disciples two by two, and then in context, in the beginning of the book of Acts, when the gift of the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues, there's one aspect that none of the Pentecostal charismatic preachers ever mentioned 
and there there it gets and we're not going to get into all the differences we'll we'll stay focused on bill johnson and bethel church reading and i think you might might we're fixing to mention it so if you do you can add to this but nowhere let me repeat nowhere in any book of the bible when it comes to healings miracles raising the dead or any of this, nowhere was it ever taught to the disciples. Nowhere in it did they ha- did a person have to be taught how to do this. Mm-hmm. It was a gift from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. When you when you get into from in the Book of Acts forward, it is a gift from the Holy Spirit, transferred through the laying on of the apostles' hands. The apostles themselves, over time, as we've shown, when when Paul got older, he was he was no longer able to heal those around himself. He was not able to heal himself. But on this fact alone, should make anyone involved with Bethel Church question the practices, because nowhere in the Bible does it speak about a pastor having to teach a Christian how to perform a miracle, how to perform right. a healing, how to speak in tongues. But at Bethel Church Reading, they have the, superna- uh, the School of Supernatural Ministry where they teach how to do all of this. If this was still available today, if Bill Johnson was right, and this healing was still available to Christians today, it would be something automatic. It would be a gift by the Holy Spirit at some point after you were converted. It would not be something that would be taught through some school that you have to, guess what, pay to attend. It would not be something that could even be taught from one man to another man or from one woman to another woman. It would be something automatic, just like breathing comes to you. Nobody teaches you how to breathe. It would be that indwelt. It would be that part of your new spiritual nature. You would automatically be able to do it. You would not have to have someone teach you how to do it. And nowhere in the book of Acts, when it comes to miracles, healings, and performing signs and wonders, is it done through praying? Nowhere in there is it done or given to someone because everyone around them prayed that they would get the gift of being able to touch someone and bring them back from the dead. Paul does address early in his ministry about different gifts, but he says in there that these will cease, but love will endure. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of Paul's ministry, towards the end of, end of his life, love endured, but his ability to heal someone had passed. Trying to say that you must possess these qualities in order to be saved, you're saying that everyone, every Protestant, since the Reformation was wrong. None of them was saved. You're saying that every person in Fox's Book of Martyrs died needlessly, that none of them were saved. You're saying that none of this, none of these people were saved, and that this is something that was special and reserved for Bethel Church Reading and special and reserved as a result of the rise of the Pentecostal movement in 1907 that the healing and and raising from the dead, all this resulted from someone's 
special revelation in 1942 or 48. Yeah. That is, in essence, what you're saying. If this gift was available today, you would see it in the most strictest, staunchest Bible, biblical Christian, hardcore Bible-believing church. It would not be something that's just isolated for one particular church because they actually lean heavy on one particular doctrine when basically what it comes down to, just like anything else, even within the Bible, you can make an idol out of either one of the attributes of God, you can make an idol out of healing or miracles, you can make an idol out of the law, you can become too legalistic, you can make an idol out of the grace that we have in Christ. The point is, Christ is not a God of confusion. He is a God of consistency. If this was going on in Christianity, and it was a normative, not something just set aside for a select few, you'd see it throughout all of the denominations, not just within those that preach hard or talk hard about this. And you surely would not have to take a class or a course and learn how to lay hands on someone Mm -hmm. and heal them. That's Amen. just what I wanted to point out, brother. No, absolutely, and I absolutely agree with that. Uh, interestingly, so even though they're going to teach you how to do this, they genuinely believe, Bethel genuinely believes that basically miracles are a must. Okay, you know, when you look at their core beliefs on Jesus empowers supernatural ministry, there are certain things that they say. One of which is God. Jesus promised that signs would follow. Now, each one of these points that they put, let me uh, interrupt myself here. Each one of these points that they give you, they give you scripture verses that supposedly back it up. So in this one, Jesus promised that signs would follow believers and they would do even greater works than he. Now, I'm going to pick two of them because I want to point something out. The first one, the uh, Bible verse they give for this is John 14, 12 through 14. And this is where... Jesus uh, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me, ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. Um, And this is right after Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And he's saying, I, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and you still you're still saying this. He says, believe that you know, in verse eleven, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So again, the works testify to who? Christ. You know, and then he says, You will do greater works than me. There and for the period of time that the the apostles were preaching the gospel to before there was the canon of scripture was complete, because as you just pointed out, Paul did say there would come a time when these things would cease. So there was a ceasing of them. Uh, But he also says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Which means when we ask, it's not so that we can have miracles to do miracles, but rather it's in his name, consistent with who he is. It's not slapping in Jesus' name to the end of it, but rather consistent with the will and nature of Christ. So they take that one little bit, and they don't give you a full explanation. But then let's go to Acts. Uh, Let's see. 
Acts 2, 17 through 18. Well, that's interesting. So what's Acts 2, 17 through 18? And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out all my pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will shall prophesy. Let's back up one verse. This is Peter speaking. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Hold on. That's a fulfillment. Peter is now saying, this passage that comes out of Joel has just been fulfilled. In other words, when Peter stood up at Pentecost, and these people heard the disciples, the apostles, speaking in known earthly languages, by the way, um, that they could hear one another and understand one another in these different languages. And they tried to say, oh, they're drunk. He says, no, this moment is a fulfillment of that prophecy. This is not a promise that every person will prophesy. This is a, prom this is a fulfillment of this prophecy in Joel. Misapplied verses. Pretty standard for a false, t a, a false church preaching a false message. Now, he also goes on, they also go on, on to say, we owe the world an opportunity to experience the power of God and an invitation to salvation because Jesus sent us into the world just as the Father sent him in the power of the Holy Spirit. We owe them an opportunity to experience. What did Christ say at the end of Matthew? Go and make them disciples. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded, to observe all that I've commanded. Now, they break these sections up into three things. Core value, what does it mean, and don't misunderstand. In the, under the, what does this mean, he says, they write, miracles did not stop with Jesus and the apostles, and they give a bunch of verses. Now, I want to make clear, this is not a, de a debate over cessationism versus continuism, and because they're continuationists, we think they're false teachers. But, again, understand, what is it that Bethel is teaching? Jesus empowers supernatural ministry. In other words, miracles are a requirement. Okay? They also say under the, what does this mean? The Holy Spirit gives every believer the supernatural power. Every believer. Not some. Not God does miracles. Every believer is, uh, possesses the power to witness and release miracle signs and wonders. Everyone. Okay. Go ahead. That goes that goes back to what I said a few moments ago. According to his definition and according to that that's on their website, if you're not doing this, you're not truly saved. Thus going back to what I said prior to nineteen hundred, from the Reformation forward for five hundred years there were no true saved Christians because this was not a normative practice within the Protestant church for five hundred years. This goes back more to the mystical side of Roman Catholicism. This goes back to the Pentecostal movement that emerged in around 1902-1907. This goes back to the false, known false teacher and heretic and charlatan from 19, in 1948, and I can't think of his name, that Bill Johnson built his way of thinking and the New Apostolic Reformation is built around, goes back to this. So according to that right there, anyone that's not being able to perform these miracles, 
that according to that statement, every Christian has the ability. According to that statement, no one else has been saved throughout this last five, six hundred years. Yeah. Now, Keep that in mind. And one, one, one other quick thing on what you were saying when you read that through the book of Acts from, from Acts. It also goes on later on in Scripture, and I forget exactly which book it's from, but it talks about after the cessation of the gifts that there will come a time of false signs and false wonders and false miracles. My question is, in order to distinguish and know the time that the Bible speaks of, this time of false signs and wonders, that means at some point the original signs and wonders had to end. Mm-hmm. And, and we progressed through a time to where none of this is going on that we see for the last 600 years or more. And now we're seeing false signs and false wonders in this land today. We're seeing it from Bethel Church Reading. What is a false sign? What is a false wonder? Mm-hmm. It's claiming that you can heal this person. It's claiming that you actually did heal this person, when in fact this person has never been healed. Yeah. That is what we're seeing. You cannot take one portion of Scripture, rip it out of context, and try to make it fit into your narrative you're taking a round peg trying to squeeze it into a square hole and make it work bill johnson is nice he's kind he's articulate he's he's a charismatic speaker but he is not preaching the christ of the bible because it simply comes down to he's adding to what christ has already declared when it comes to the biblical way of salvation exactly now it's interesting uh, you know, going back to what you had said about, well, it's given, it's a gifting. It, they, the, you know, what we see consistently in Scripture is the this miraculous ha- uh, gift of healing or prophecy happens. There's no education behind it. Absolutely agree. Here's what's interesting: when you go to God is still speaking as one of their core values. Now they they believe that. Uh, you know, they say God wants to communicate with his family. It's important for us to actively listen to his voice and experience the variety of ways he communicates. Now, they do believe, on they, they state as a belief, that the scriptures are the final authority. They, and they actually say that, you know, in these, that we have to compare these things with scripture. Now, I would argue, and I know many others have argued, if we have to compare it with scripture, then we don't need extra biblical revelation because we have scripture. But... He, this is where they that they want to make the claim that God is still speaking and we have to be trained to hear it. And so under the what does this mean section, um, he says, God is perfect, but he has chosen to partner with imperfect people to build the kingdom. Like other spiritual gifts, such as teaching, leading, and serving, we do not always prophesy perfectly. Sometimes We sometimes make mistakes, and this is why we need to judge the words. Um, last I checked, according to scripture, if you prophesied falsely, you were a false prophet. But they have an answer to that too. As with all spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy is not given to us fully developed. Excuse me. We are responsible to grow and develop our gifts to their full potential by stepping out in faith, taking risks, and partnering with God. And citing this, they go to 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 16. Now this is an interesting passage. 
Paul writing to Timothy says, Do not neglect the gift you have by which, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, interesting. Let's go back to verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Go down to verse 15. Practice these things. What things? Back to verse 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. The things that he is to practice is what he's been commanded to do. Devoting himself to reading, uh, exhorting, and teaching. And he says, don't neglect this gift that you received, which was given to you by prophecy, meaning the elders laid their hands upon him and spoke, thus says the Lord, you are a, you know, you are a pastor in this church, you are preaching the word of God, therefore practice exhort reading, exhortation, teaching. They are trying to tell you it's the gift of prophecy that you are to develop uh, develop because it wasn't given to you fully. That's nonsense. That is not at all consistent with this. If you go from 11 through 16, you recognize that Paul is saying, practice the preaching, the word of God. Has nothing to hey, do brother, with practicing I, prophecy. Go ahead, brother. One thing that often brings confusion to many is not understanding the New Testament in the Greek when it talks about prophesying, it's not speaking about fortune, mm -hmm. fortune telling. It's not talking in the context of, a, of Isaiah making a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. In the New Testament, and I don't have it pulled up, this popped into my head, but when it goes in, talks about prophesying or prophesying, it's talking about exhortation. It's talking about the revealing the teaching of God's Word. It's not in the mm -hmm. context of telling the future or making predictions or getting into, you know, well, this time next year this is going to happen or that's going to happen. They're, they're completely different, and that's something that a lot of these charismatic-type churches like Bethel, they use to their advantage because they don't get into the original Hebrew meaning in the Old Testament, and they don't get into the original Greek meaning in the New Testament. They'll take a word and will either completely misunderstand it or use it in the context that best suits the narrative they're trying to portray, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. I, I fully agree with you. Here's the thing that I find that's so interesting. They go... <laughs> In regards to this, well, it's your your pro gift of prophecy, foretelling, as they would describe it. I agree with you. It's it's the the preaching of God's word. Thus says the Lord. It is not the um you know here's a word for you that you know this is going to happen in your life and you're going to have this breakthrough. It is the preaching of the word, and according to Scripture, God today, yesterday, today, forever, God is the same. If you prophesied falsely, if you foretold. Pro, uh, or foretold falsely, you're a false prophet. Well, here's their answer to that. 
in the Old Testament, the prophet is judged, but the New Testament, the prophetic word is judged. Hold on a second. The prophet is judged by what he spoke and whether it was true or not. So his word is judged. This in and of itself is a contradiction in terms. But the prophetic word is judged, they say. The Old Testament expectation is that all, that all prophecy should be 100% accurate has been modified under the New Covenant. No, it has not. There is nothing in the New Testament that, that makes this claim. This is a complete corruption of what the New Testament says. The New, the New Testament church is commanded to test everything and hold on to what is good. Right. Test it. If that's false, you reject it. If this is true, you hold tight to it. How do you test it? According to the word of God. You don't go, oh, he got that wrong. I reject that. But he got this right. I accept that. That is not what that is referring to. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was upon the prophet. Now the Holy Spirit resides in every believer. True. Enabling us to say, you got that wrong, instead of, you are a false prophet. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. He points to 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-21. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything and hold fast to what is good. We are to test the spirits. We are to we are commanded to test the spirits. We are to commanded to compare them to, to the word of God. Yes, absolutely. And when it is false, we absolutely reject all of what that person says. There is nothing in there to say, "Oh, you got that part wrong." That is a misapplication. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14:29. That's one of the other passages you want to say. Let, let's just let's hop around in scripture tonight and we'll 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 talk about how they're misapplying scripture. 1 Corinthians 14:29. Okay, I didn't even look this one up, but I guarantee you uh, this they're going to have this uh, messed up. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Now, what is going on here? This is not about forth uh, foretelling. I know what this is. Any Christian who has read this knows what this is. What is Paul writing to the Corinthians? About the order of church worship. What then, brothers, when, when, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for, the, for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let, only be, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn let someone interpret. These are rules of how to conduct oneself in church. Okay? So, if you are speaking in tongues, again, in earthly language not known to the speaker, we're not going to have chaos. Two or three of you at most will speak, and you don't speak unless there's an interpreter, so people who there don't understand that language can know what you've said so that those who speak that language hear it, and those who don't know it can have it interpreted for them. Okay, you're speaking the word of God. God is miraculously allowing those to be, you know, it to be spoken in a tongue that others understand, and there is an interpreter for the others. Okay, but if there is no one to interpret, let them keep silent in the church and speak to himself or and to God. Let there let two or three prophets speak, and the others weigh what is said. Okay, so you you know again rules not. Um, here, this is how you test and make sure the prophecy is okay or not okay, partially right, partially not right. But rather, if you have people who speak prophetically, the foretelling or the foretelling, at best, two or three get to speak, just like with tongues. And let the others weigh what is said. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, 
so that they all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This has nothing to do with you can get it wrong partly here, you can partly get it right here. Rather, weigh what has been taught in conjunction with Scripture. This has nothing to do with did he get it partly right. Go back to let's go to uh, now First John four one. We'll go, we'll go, this is the last one, and then we'll, we'll we really got to wrap up. We're kind of going long, but let's go to First John four one. Just went through First John recently. I actually got to make my way back through the for, uh, the New Testament again. First John four one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now that's interesting. That would seem to utterly disregard, or utterly destroy what what Bethel has taught right here. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. If I was Bethel Redding, I would fire the intern who wrote that one in there. <laughs> because that just utterly guts what they just said. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Oh! This is about those who speak about Jesus. These are those who speak about that Christ has come in the flesh from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world already. This is about those people who come speaking about Christ. You examine what they say about Christ and if they deny the nature of Christ, they are a false prophet. Everything in this past, these little, you know, these little proof texts that they put here have zip to do with what is actually said. This is a, this is a ministry that is 100% sold out to the miraculous. Miracles are essentially a requirement. Remember, we owe the unbelieving world an opportunity to experience the power of God. For those who ask, why would you do this? Why would you say that Bill Johnson is a false prophet? And why would you pray that the his death of his wife would that he would be safe? This is why. This has this is not the debate over whether miracles still can occur. This is not a debate over whether the gifts in Acts, the, the signs and wonders gifts are still going on today. There's a place for that. And I believe there are genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe they're genuinely wrong about the, the continuation of the gifts, but I believe they are genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because they don't do this. They, they do not say that we have to do miracles, that every Christian must do miracles, that every Christian must heal, every Christian must speak in tongues or anything like that. They may debate us on this issue, but this is not the same as what Bill Johnson and Bethel Redding are doing. Bill Johnson, you'll watch a 20-minute video, and he will seem like the nicest guy in the world. And he'll kind of tamp down on some of those things that we, we tend to point out that the word of faith uh, nonsense preaches. Like, you know, if you don't have, if you're, if you're not healed, it's because you lacked faith. He says in that video, no, 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 we don't, we don't like that. But then he turns around and says, but faith is such a big part of it. But hey, when, uh, just one last thought here. All of this is Bethel's, uh, this is Bethel's website. This is what they say. And they are utterly misapplying the word of God. And then when and, and when they say that the word of God is 
the final authority. It's a final authority up until it contradicts them. And then what happens is they twist it. And you, I just showed you example after example where they've done this. This is not from Scripture. This is not the Christ of Scripture. When they say, we believe Jesus is the way of salvation, they, are, they have dressed up an idol. And they have given him the name Jesus. And they say, that's Jesus. This is a false gospel. Because it destroys the character and nature of Jesus. It teaches that uh, contradiction to scripture about the nature of his atonement. About what it was about. Because they say he purchased our physical healing. Not what this said. They, they make absolutely mandatory statements about healing that are not in scripture. They deny that errantly prophesying, as they call it, makes them false teachers. They wrongly claim that enduring faith is about being faithful until a miracle comes. Whatever Bill Johnson's claims are about believing in Christ for salvation, he is not speaking of the Christ of Scripture. It's a false idol, and there is no salvation in a false idol. I don't care what name you give it. Go ahead, brother. Well, while you were talking, I glanced at several commentaries, and one by... John Gill on 1 Timothy 4.14, and it's in, in agreement with about a dozen others. And it states right here, and I chose this one because it's laid out in plainer text, and it's not written in the very, very old English that I have trouble understanding. But John Gill himself says that prophesying is frequently used for preaching in the New Testament. See 1 Corinthians 13.2. And then the sense is that this gift was given him to qualify him for the interpreting of the scriptures, the explaining of the prophecies of the Old Testament, and for the preaching of the gospel, and therefore he should not neglect it, but use it for this purpose, and he adds that it was given him with the laying on of the hands. So just to re-clarify again, in the New Testament, more times than not, when the word prophesying is being used, it's talking about preaching, explaining what is written in the Word of mm -hmm. God. It's not talking about fortune-telling or, or, or naming and claiming and all of this other that we see and get into in these days. I just wanted to double-check myself and make sure that I was right on that. But oftentimes, especially in the epistles, when you read prophesying, it is talking about exegetical preaching yeah. of the word, taking it verse by verse and explaining explaining that verse according to what other verses have to say about that verse. There's only one meaning of a verse, but it has many different applications. Yes. More times than not, in churches like Bethel Reading, they'll take an application and claim that that is the meaning of the verse, and then we get into what we talked about already, they'll take a word out of context and either apply it as we would understand something today or misapply it to mean what they want it to mean, depending on who's listening. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping that tonight during the show, if someone's listening that is a member of Bethel Church Reading or one of their offshoots or 
supports Bethel Church Reading. Hopefully, we have gave, we've given you enough biblical truth. Maybe you'll start thinking some of these things through. Start asking questions. Go to Scripture yourself and read what Scripture actually says. If there's something you do not understand, read commentaries from the Reformers. Read commentaries by those pastors and preachers who lived prior to 1900, because since 1900, a lot, a lot, a lot of worldly thinking has influenced the church. Go back to an era prior to when all of these worldly ideologies and culture and social justice and all these other things, read prior what these pastors all agreed on and what was taught and preached for 500 years prior to 1900. Guess what? The truth has not changed. The world and the culture has changed, and you have many false prophets, false teachers. You have wolves in sheep's clothing. You have some wolves that actually truly believe they are sheep, but they are not being faithful to the Word of God. And start with the gospel itself. If someone is adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel, they're not preaching the the biblical way of salvation. Amen. It goes back to what Paul wrote time and time and time again when he addresses circumcision. We are circumcised in the heart. We are made and born again through Christ, by Christ, for Christ. That's it. If someone says... If you're really saved, you need to be doing this. If you're really saved, you need to be doing that. No. What does the Bible say? If you're truly saved, you're going to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, spiritually. And one thing as a side note, whether it's Bethel Church or so many that have been influenced by this emergent church movement, where the focus is on emotion and experience, more so than what God has actually said, you need to truly go to the Bible and examine what is being taught by these pastors and preachers. A lot of it sounds really nice, and it sounds kind, and you hear them talking about love, and you hear them talking about healing people or or whatever the situation may be. But what you really need to examine hard is the Word of God and see if it, what they're preaching and teaching aligns with, with, what, with what the Word of God says itself. Don't just take their rendering of a verse and they say, okay, this means this. Don't take their word for it. Go to Scripture, read it for yourself, and see what Scripture actually has to say about Scripture. Yeah. I'll give it back to you, brother. So just one last part that I want to quickly go over before we wrap this up because we're going kind of long everybody that responded in a negative manner to the 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 post about benny johnson's death was upset because they thought i was dunking on bill johnson and using as an opportunity to say he's a false teacher right that i didn't write it in the spirit or this wasn't the time i wasn't acting like christ bill's a man of god or like the one lady who messaged me, I know nothing about Benny Johnson, but how dare you? Um, what it boiled down to is this. They didn't like me saying that Bill Johnson was a false teacher and that 
I was praying that God would use the passing of his wife to open his eyes. We just spent over an hour and a half talking about what Bill Johnson and Bethel Redding teach. And that, that's just the tip of the iceberg of things. Go to Justin Peters Ministries and you will see over and over and over again the very things that, um, that they teach that are in contradiction to the Word of God. And it's not, as I said, it's not just simply a debate about continuation or cessationism. These are to the character and nature of Christ. And they have misapplied and misappropriated the Word of God to justify these false teachings. So what I asked for is that God in His sovereignty use a tragedy in the life of a false teacher to open his eyes. Now, people don't seem to like that, but let me let me share some things with you. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He, tur he turns it wherever he will. James 4.15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Romans 9.17. For scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, we serve a sovereign God. Nothing in our lives is by happenstance. It is all according to His foreordained plan, according to His decree. You think you made a choice to go this way or that way today, to take this job or that job, to choose this person to marry or that person to marry. Every step of your life, God knew in advance and ordained it. There is nothing that is by happenstance. What a horrible God we would serve if he didn't know what you were going to do today. If he had no purpose, no plan for the decisions you make. Even the tragedies that occur in our lives, Romans 8 tells us, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And by, uh, by uh, extension, for those not called by his name, all those things happen for their judgment. Everything happens in our lives according to God's foreordained plan. He uses us to bring himself glory for the ultimate good of his people and for the judgment of the wicked. I mean, think about it. Going back to Romans 9, he rose up an evil Pharaoh who afflicted his people. Why? That he might send Moses. Why? That Moses may say, let my people go. Why? So that that Pharaoh would refuse so that the curses of God would be poured out on a God-rejecting people and the false gods of Egypt would be brought to their knees. They would be utterly shown to be false, non-existent, useless. So that he could what? Deliver his people. So that what? Forty years later, read Joshua. Forty years plus years later, as they were coming into the land of Canaan, what do we see? Over and over again, we feared the God that delivered you from Egypt. 
Nothing about what God does is happenstance. Everything is according to his foreordained plan. So Benny's passing is not happenstance. It is hurtful to the person who lost him, or to the husband who lost his wife, to the mother or to the daughter or son who lost their mother. But Benny's passing is part of God's foreordained plan. So is it beyond any imagination that we can pray, Lord, according to your will, may those who follow Bill Johnson, may those in the family of Bill Johnson, may Bill Johnson himself see the passing of her life and recognize everything we preached is a lie. I don't believe so. I believe God, in his sovereignty, can use the death of Benny Johnson, her four years of battling cancer, the watch, you know, the, the Johnson family watched her health degrade over time, to the point where she had stroke. I mean, my word, that she had trouble breathing and sleeping. That God would allow that, so that some may look at this and go, the the teachings of Bethel Church are a lie. God save me from this. Yes, I believe that. I believe God can do that. I believe God may do that. And I don't believe it is cruel or mean at all to pray for that. All the prayer rallies, all the declaring, all the God always intends to heal sermons failed miserably. And Bill Johnson had a front row seat to watch it all. Do I pray that God would break his heart to see that all that he has built in the name of a false gospel was torn from him as he watched his life's, wife's life ebb away? Yes, I do. Because I don't care how kind Bill Johnson was and how generous he has been and how humble he seems if what he has taught for decades, is a lie. And he has led people on the path to hell. Bill Johnson faces massive judgment for every idle word that has passed from his mouth. So do I ask that we pray for him? Absolutely, because it is kindness. What we did not do was dance on Benny's grave. We did not tap dance. We did not say, oh, look at him. He was proven wrong. Ha, ha. We didn't do any of that. We're praying for the family. And I have, by the way. And we're praying for their salvation. It is a kindness. See, the problem is, as many people say, well, it's, it, you're not being nice. That 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice, Vody Balcom said has nothing to do with being nice. We're talking about kindness. See, kindness is when you see a man with the earplugs in and his eyes closed and he's just trotting along and he just thinks he's knows when the direction he's going and there's a cliff right in front of him. Kindness is you body tackle that guy and you stop him from going over the edge. Kindness is, yes, he got some bumps and bruises and some scrapes, but he's not going to his death. 
you saved his life. That's kindness. And kindness is something we give to people whether they deserve it or not. See, we are kind when we preach the gospel because we know that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. So every person who hears it is undeserving of it because they deserve condemnation and they deserve hell. Yet in kindness, we share the gospel. Kindness was given to us when the gospel was proclaimed to us. We didn't deserve it. We deserve hell. We deserve condemnation. Every person in heaven should be able to tap dance on our graves and say, hey, you rejected God. Ha, ha, ha. But God in his mercy shows kindness that he sends sinners that he has redeemed to preach the gospel to other sinners in need of salvation. And sometimes that kind act results in a bit of bumping and bruising as we hit the ground because we got body tackled before we stepped off the cliff. It is not niceness that we must be consumed with. It is the kindness of God. Niceness, yes, be nice, be polite, show, show your manners. You don't have to be a jerk. But niceness is not the issue. Kindness is. It is a kindness to pray for a man who has led untold numbers of people in a false gospel on the broad path to hell. To pray for his salvation. It is a kindness. We have spent a lot of time talking about what he teaches. He is a false teacher. He misrepresents Christ. He misrepresents the word. He extends to it puts the in the word of God in the mouth of God words he's never said, or he takes the words that have come from the mouth of God and has altered them to say something he never said. That is the definition of a false prophet. And then he alters the word of God to cover his tracks and say, Oh no, we just might get it wrong once in a while. I know people were not happy. And this, this episode is not to be in the face to the people that complained. I'm over it already. I didn't respond to a great many of them. And some people I just simply said, I'm asking to pray for him. How is that unkind? And many others were just rude and cruel and they either got muted or blocked. This isn't an in-your-face for them. I don't expect that any of them will listen. This is for our brethren who listen to this show. When you are confronted with how dare you say something like that, this is why we dare. Because we love those who are condemned and on their way to hell. And we love them enough to tell them the truth. And we love them enough that when we see tragedy in their life, we still pray, Lord, use this. Use this to open their eyes. Draw them to you. Save their souls. That is the kindness of the gospel. And that's why I ask for prayer. You will be confronted by people who say, how dare you? Dare away. Now, I don't recommend that we ever dance on the grave of someone who has passed to say, ha ha, you got it wrong. That is decidedly unkind. But I do believe we can point to what God has shown and use that as a place to preach the gospel from and to pray for those who are lost 
to a false gospel. I think it is that important. Rich, anything else as we let uh, let everybody go? We've had them for a couple hours now. I have a couple of things here. First, I'd like to remind everyone, especially if you are involved with Bethel Church Reading, open your Bible and, re- and read Galatians 1.8. Paul wrote, But even if we, or an angel from, from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Let him be cast out. Let him be put away. Be done with him. Have nothing else to do with him. Sadly, Bethel Church Reading is preaching a false gospel. Throw everything else you may have known or heard about Bethel Church out the window. The fact that they are adding to and subtracting from the gospel, the biblical way of salvation in itself is proof they are preaching a gospel different than the one that is in the books of Scripture. Now, very briefly, when it comes to this health, wealth, and prosperity movement, I know many people that have fallen prey and victim to these teachings that have been borderline suicidal because of it. I just want to remind you and remind our normal listeners that trouble is promised in Scripture. We're not promised a life of ease, that, that abundant life that they misquote and, mis- and, and twist out of context is not an abundant life of physical health or financial prosperity. Christ actually himself taught the opposite, and it didn't apply only to his disciples when he, ta- when he talked about persecution and troubles. But Paul stated bluntly in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And this is just kind of adding to that. Anyone who claims that believing in Jesus a Jesus that brings financial prosperity, physical health, and perfect relationships, they either have not read their Bible or they are listening to a preacher like Bill Johnson and taking his word for it, and they're not going to Scripture themselves. Life is tough, and the Christian life is even tougher. The Bible, far from dodging this fact, acknowledges it and embraces it. Jesus himself guaranteed it. And instead of promising to eliminate trouble from our lives, lives, Jesus instead promises to give peace and comfort in the midst of trouble. That is the hope that is in Christ. That is one of the promises that is Christ. Not that you'll have a life free from trouble, not that you'll have a life free from persecution or torment or pain or anguish, but that he will sustain you through all of that. That is one of the promises. That is one of the hopes that is in Jesus Christ. And in closing, I'd like to read you portions of Ephesians chapter 2, by grace through faith. And you were, di- and Paul is addressing Christians in the church of Ephesus. And you need to stop and ask yourself, am I really saved? Am I following the Christ that's in the Bible? Have I truly been born again? And if you doubt your salvation, if you have questions about this, you can contact me and Chris or me individually or Chris individually. There are tons
tons of resources that will help guide and, and lead you to the truth. But addressing them, Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When people are boasting in their experiences, when people are boasting in their emotions, they are living in the flesh. They are not putting their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ. They are not giving Jesus Christ the glory. They're seeking the glory for themselves. They're seeking the glory in their works, not the works that have already been done in Christ through grace in faith. And when you claim that you need to be able to exhibit signs, miracles, wonders, tongues, when someone tells you that in order to truly be saved, you must be doing these things, they are adding to the biblical way of salvation. They are presenting you with a false gospel. Read John chapter 3 several times. Read it over and over and over again. Why did Christ come into the world? Why did Christ sacrifice, suffer, and die on the cross? Why was Christ resurrected? To set people free from the bondage of sin, to free you from the love of sin that you have by nature, because by nature you are a child of wrath. It's all through Christ, by Christ, for Christ, in Christ, grace, faith, trust, repentance, belief, all of that is a gift from Jesus Christ. And if you're truly in Christ, you will grow in the fruits of salvation. You will, you will grow to exhibit the evidences of salvation through the Spirit that we spoke about earlier. And if you're not sure whether you're saved or not, if you doubt your salvation, first I say good, because most people that are truly saved at some point have actually doubted their salvation. And if you've never examined yourself to see if you're in the faith, go to Scripture. Read first, read first uh, John. That is a great, great book. And read it and examine yourself against those words of Scripture to see if you've truly been saved, to see if you're in the faith. Forget what the people around you have taught you and told you. Forget what that pastor that you love teaches and preaches. Go to the Word of God. Go to the source and learn for yourself. Go to Jesus Christ. Go to the Holy Spirit. Go to God the Father in prayer.
and beg and plead and throw you see throw yourself on his mercy and read Psalm 51 and keep doing that and beg Christ to grant you both assurance and truly be saved in him beg for salvation today you don't know what tomorrow may bring you you may have walked and listened and and followed pastors like Bill Johnson for decades but yet you may have never truly been saved yourself go to the scriptures and read what God himself has left for you that is the declaration of God he left us his word and blessed us with it to have in written form don't take that pastor's word for it go to the scriptures and read it for yourself and keep reading it until you understand and if you don't understand keep praying and begging Christ to open your heart and grant you the gift of understanding ask him to do for you what he did for Lydia to open your heart to understand and as you go forward if you're truly saved in Christ as you go forward whatever you do this week make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day amen amen Folks, thank you for giving us that time with you tonight. We hope this has been a blessing to you. We hope this has caused you to think more deeply on these issues. Um, we do not wish to besmirch or antagonize people who disagreed with the original post on Twitter, but we want to re folks to recognize it's serious business when you are dealing with people who preach a false gospel. And hey, brother. Is, yeah. I'm sorry. I completely forgot something. In the show note links, there's a sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones. I don't care how long you've professed to be a Christian. I don't care whether you agree with what we've said tonight or not. But I do beg and implore you to go listen to this sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He explains and lays out the foundations of the Christian faith and presents the most beautiful, the best articulated gospel presentation towards the end that I've ever heard in my life. And I pray that it helps and enriches and opens your heart to understand. Amen. So folks, take time, go through these notes, the, the show links, please. Go through and uh, make sure you've spent time understanding what we've talked about. Listen to the sermon, as my brother said. Um, serious stuff. It's serious stuff to, to mess with the Word of God and to use it for your own uh, for your own benefit, and which is what Bethel does. So uh, we pray you think about this. Go back, re-listen to the things we talked about. Listen to the videos. Go check out the links. Um, listen to the sermon. There's a lot there, but don't don't be kowtowed by people into. Um, well, you can't say that you're being mean. This, Apart from Jesus Christ, apart from supernatural regeneration of Jesus Christ, a false teacher like Bill Johnson is not entering into glory. That should terrify us. It should terrify us greatly. And um, it should terrify us for those who follow him. So be praying for them. Be praying for his salvation. And, and be praying for people to come out of places like Bethel and that they would come to genuine faith in Jesus Christ and pray that this time and this uh, th this 
tragic loss is one of the things that God uses to cause that to happen. So thank you for your time. God bless you guys. We look forward to spending time with you next week. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you next time.